0: This document is important mainly because of the front side. And uh, it kind of brings us together, unites us together in thinking about needs and concerns amongst uh, the brethren here, especially. On the back side happens to be an outline with a bunch of blanks in it, but uh, if, it, if it helps you in following our discussion, you are welcome to work with it and fill in the the blanks, as we say. That phrase up there, possess what your God gives you, we're going to be interchanging that, going back and forth between God, small g, and God with a large capital G, as we say, which kind of gives us a hint that our discussion this morning will be a little bit about choices. This One verse here is in a context that deals with a man named Jephthah, which maybe some of you are familiar with, or hopefully most of you, Jephthah. Which you might find ironic on Father's Day to consider Jephthah, because (laughs) most of us think, what kind of father was Jephthah in the way that he made a vow that affected his daughter in the way that he did? And we're not even going to address that. We're going to look at one verse that Jephthah spoke to the Ammonites. Now, he's in a time period where uh, it's about 300 years past the time of Joshua. And it's in that time period where the Israelites, time and time again, they forsake God. And their, their faith is weak, or they toss it aside for a certain period of time. They serve the gods of Canaan and other gods And the Lord delivers them into an enemy. It's what I call his spanking period. He disciplines them. They cry out to him, and he gives them a judge, or a better word would be deliverer. And Jephthah is one of the deliverers. And the Ammonites have been oppressing Israel because the Lord is disciplining them, and they decide, we will set aside our gods, Lord. We'll set aside our gods, serve you. And uh, they want a leader to, to help them in getting rid of the Ammonites because the whole deal here is not just God doing everything, but they need to demonstrate their faith. And so uh, Jephthah, through a little bit of finagling with his relatives, says, I'll be your leader. And he sends a note, a message to the Ammonites and says, look, uh, get out of our land, basically. <laughs> and the Ammonite king responds, hey, we've wanted this land, we want to take it. We're trying to take it, and it's really ours. So Jephthah in chapter 11 goes through a little bit of history with the Ammonites and says, Hey, when God brought Israel out of Egypt, he skirted Moab and Ammon and even Edom, came into uh, Gilead area, the east side of the Jordan, which, by the way, is where Jephthah's from, Gilead, so he's got an interest in this, and the Lord distributed and defeated and destroyed Sihon, king of the Amorites. So technically, it's not yours anyway. It's not your land. Notice what he says in 24. Is that our verse up there? 11, 24. Do you not possess what Shemosh, your God, gives you to possess? So whatever the Lord our God has driven out before us, we will possess it. In other words... This land that I'm defending right now, God gave it to us. It's ours. You beat it and go be content with what your God Shemash has given you. <laughs> right? What an what a interesting character. And he says, look, you've had 300 years and you could have taken it in any time during those 300 years. He's, he's going back to the time of Joshua when Joshua brought Israel into Canaan. He so says, you could have taken it during that time and you didn't. So he's, he draws up a very good point here. That whomever we serve, we must be content with what that God has the power to give us. And it's, it's just human nature, brethren, that humans tend to expect something in return for service to whatever God they're serving. With street talk, for example, with a little bit of uh, Sylvester Stallone rocky twang to it, it'd be kind of like, uh, yo, Polly, what do I get out of this? That, that's kind of the human nature. That's, we want to know what do we get out of something if we're going to put something into it, right? And you might say, yeah, but asking the only living God, isn't that rather presumptuous and selfish? Because he's the one that delivered us from death. And that's absolutely right. He did. So our response to that should be what? The Lord delivering us from death should be unrestrained thanksgiving and complete total commitment and service to him, shouldn't it? But just remember that even the Lord Jesus himself utilized the concept of reward. Reward. You don't do it now, but maybe this afternoon, after your Father's Day lunch, read through Matthew 5 and Matthew 6, and notice how many times Jesus refers to the concept of reward, and actually, he's looking at two kinds of rewards in those chapters, and take, take a look at that, that concept is in there. Now, this concept of being content with what our God has the power to give us, and expecting something from our God, it makes sense if we're asking the gods, small g, of the world, doesn't it? Because it's all about us in that context. When we're serving anything other than the one true living God, we create gods. Humans have done this since I, I don't know when. Go back in the Old Testament. And the, even Abraham and his family had gods when they were called out by the one true God. We, we have a tendency, when we set God aside, we serve gods, and we create our own gods because really we're serving ourselves, correct? It's to please ourselves and, so, and satisfy our own lusts. And so the gods are set up. Greek and Roman world are perfect for that. Great examples of the gods who, who behave like humans. Why? Because humans created them. They had the same lusts and all that kind of stuff. The problem is, brethren, that we fail to access to assess the power of our God, either small g or large g. And power of our God affects your life. Whatever God it is, it affects your life. So this is what we're going to to do is assess our lives. One way to assess your life is to ask, what will be given to me by the thing, or God, small g, to which I am dedicating my life? And since we've got this choices thing going on, we could ask it this way. What will be given to me by the one God, the true living God, to whom I am dedicating my life? Okay. What, another way we could word it is what kind of God, small g or large g, am I serving based on what that God can give me? For example... If you dedicate your life to career and wealth, and that becomes your God, small g, what can you expect? I'm going to pause here so you can think about that. What can you expect if you dedicate your life to career and wealth? Is it warm in here? see some eyes going, I uh, see some eyes drooping. Carm, <laughs> hmm. that is probably cool air blowing in here, right? Okay, we'll feel it in a minute. Brethren, you, you can expect nothing more than what riches can buy. Is that true? Is that an accurate statement? If you're dedicating yourself to that, forget about love, forget about family, forget about home, Forget about health. Forget about peace of mind. Your career cannot give you those things, amen? Which raises the question, well, I thought we were supposed to care for our families and love them and provide for our own through our careers or however we are providing a living. And the answer to that is yes. So here's here's where comes the balance, doesn't it? So, I, t- especially to you young people who are in this situation, choose a career path that provides less distraction in serving God. Would that be good counsel? Less temptation to serve the world. Because there's a lot of choices out there, and some lend themselves more to being drawn away by the world than others. Wouldn't you agree? First Timothy six seventeen through 18, and Austin Add 19. On there, if you would. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up. They may take hold of that which is life indeed. There you go. What can the Lord give? Life indeed. If you focus on, and that becomes your goal, those things there in that. Cha- Boy, read that whole chapter sometime. That is just profound. And it really helps us with this whole idea here. Am I dedicating my life to this God or not? How about. Uh, Dedicating your life to pursuing your dreams. That's a very common phrase, isn't it, in our society? Follow your dreams. It sometimes is worded this way, dare to dream, or dream big. And it's the idea of pursuing your aspirations. Isn't it? And some people work so hard at it, they pursue perspiration because of that. They work so hard. It's a lot of sweat. We, we say that. It's a lot of sweat and tears. but I'm going to get my dream. I'm going to be like the next Taylor Swift. Anybody had that dream? Nothing wrong with that necessarily. But you know what? If dreams do not include God's purposes, then what's the result? There really is no purpose, right? Your dreams need to include God's purposes. In the day of adversity, expect no one to be there for you but yourself if your dreams are all about yourself and if the Lord's not included in those dreams. A life dedicated to me is really going to end up like this, walking down a road all by yourself. And that's a sad picture, isn't it? Very melancholy. Probably a lot of songs that could go with that. Because a lot of people out there in the world who write those sad melancholy songs are in that position because they do not place the true living God in their dreams. Very sad to end up alone. A life dedicated to me can end up alone both, both in victory and in defeat. Which is the sad thing about it. Perhaps charity is a path of preference. Now, this is a head scratcher. How in the world could charity become a God? Doing good for others, loving others, showing your love to others. Isn't helping others a way of demonstrating love to mankind? And that's one of the great commandments. It is. But could this become a God in some way? Now my, my mom made a statement. I, hope, I don't think she'll mind me sharing this. She made a statement a while back. We were talking, I don't know what we were talking about, but it stuck in my mind. She said, you know, when you were growing up, we were raising you kids. Um, I would t- take you, drag you along with whoever I was helping. She's a great, great, good works person, still is, helping others. And she said, helping others kind of, she looking back on it, could see that that kind of got in the way of raising the family. Am I kind of saying that correctly? I think she's being too hard on herself. I mean, what, what local church wouldn't want somebody like that, with dad supporting her, going around helping people, you know, living out Christ's attitude? But um, so for you younger folks raising your children, I don't want to, you to get the impression I'm, I want you just, as I observe your lives and how you raise your kids, just throw that out and not help anybody, whether they're in the household of faith or not. But the idea would be to, again, find that balance, wouldn't it? Get your children involved with that kind of thing, whether it's helping those in the household of faith or outside of the household of faith but at the same time, allow downtime and rest time and family time, family bonding time. Unfortunately, brethren, a giving heart is open to both joy and pain, isn't it? It's a fact. People take advantage of givers. That's just a fact. Friends that are made through the acts of service often flee. And when do they flee? When it's their turn to give <laughs> instead of receive, right? they poof. They're gone. Poof. Family let us down. You hear about ungrateful children, mooching brother-in-law, leeching uncle. And we help them, you know, we help them out of love. Uh, the danger there is being blind to the fact that at some point we may be enabling them in some sort of sin. And that's where that, you have to turn on the tough love, don't you? And tough love is tough to do, isn't it? Especially when it's flesh and blood. Man. I suppose what we're getting at here is, the fact that, well-known fact that some people in the world are looking for earthly reward in demonstrating their love and flouting it, you know, parading the fact that they're a loving servant and uh, look how much I gave to this and how much I gave to that and getting (laughs) there. It's kind of funny over at the high school, Burlington High School here, you got these pavers that lead to the track and um, you can tell they were donated, people donated money To buy the pavers to put down to have a pathway to the field, and guess what's on the pavers? Their name. (laughs) I always thought that was kind of funny. Well, you know, look what I gave. I'm one of the givers. Nothing wrong with that, but when it's acts of helping people, I think it is wise to to be quiet about it. But there are people out there that do it, as Jesus said, they get the reward now. Get their attention now, if that's their only aim. How about uh, health and long life? What if if I dedicate my life to this God, health and long life? Will that work? Nope, that won't work either. You know why, folks? Because death trumps life every time. Translation, we're all going to die physically. Ecclesiastes 7, 1 through 4, take a look at that at some point. In that sense, every days are numbered in the sense that here on earth at some point we are not going to continue living in these vessels. And even a long life is not guaranteed to be a good one. Have you ever thought of that? We have our sister Dorothy here with us today, and she is living a long life right now. She's 90-something. Well, I wasn't going to give that away. <laughs> 93, long life. And she's had a good life, she'll tell you that, she's been very blessed. Not everybody lives that long, and it's a good one. Have, have any of you had plane flights like that, that are real long, but not necessarily good? Yeah, Randy, you do a lot of flying. Matter of fact, this last one is, especially the end of it, not not so great. Oh, man. So, brethren, you only possess as much as what your God gives you to possess. So here's the takeaway. Here's a lesson for the day. Worship well. Choose your God well. Most of you have claimed to choose to serve the living God, and you've been singing praises to him today. Just remember... Keep that in mind and keep Jesus' words in mind. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What do you think about that? Abundant life. Not not only in the hereafter, but you can have abundant life now. There is a philosophy, and there may be more than one, but Brethren, there's a philosophy that heaven is here on, I call it the heaven here on earth philosophy, that we are in heaven right now because we're victorious in Christ, everything's conquered, Satan's gone, all that stuff. That's one philosophy. The other extreme is the kingdom of God exists only in heaven and we can't be too sure about our salvation. That's the other extreme. I want to suggest to you submit to you that the truth is you are in his kingdom right now. If he's the king, you're his citizens in the kingdom. And you are victorious over death through Jesus Christ. That's where faith comes in. That's faith. Now, faith is the assurance of what? Things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, Hebrews 11.1. 1. So as we approach this week, brethren, let's suppose that this week finds you in the United States of America, which has been converted and taken over by communist China, for example, or maybe the Muslim world. Maybe there's Muslims take over and they're extreme Muslims, radical, and Christianity is booted out. How would that change your life this next week? If it's illegal to be a Christian, then it's going to be illegal to get a job or to own property. Now, how, do, how does that affect you this next week? <laughs> Whose God do you serve? Which God do you serve? And what do you expect from him if you serve him? When I think about that, the things you say, ah, that's, that's next week, that's never going to happen. That's too drastic. What if it does happen? in the next five years or ten years. How dedicated are you to your God, brethren? How dedicated are you? Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison, and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Because you knew that you yourselves had better, you had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. There's our concept of reward. I was reading from Hebrews. He was talking to Christians who had endured what I just described. That's probably not going to happen this next week, but maybe it will in the future. Are you going to hold on to your confidence in your God, the Father, the living, true God? Your Lord Jesus is speaking to you today, brethren. He's speaking to you right now. Luke 6, 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the most high for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Now that's a phrase that's a mind-blower. The Lord is kind to ungrateful and evil men. How kind will he be to you, his children? Hmm? Next phrase, be merciful just as your father in heaven is merciful. So what was our question way there way back there at the beginning? what will be given to me by the thing or the one to whom i am dedicating my life what did jesus say i came to give life and life abundantly let's rejoice in that let's stand.